Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular, completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Jolene Park is my guest today. She's a functional nutritionist, a health coach, a TEDx speaker, a former gray area drinker, and the creator of the gray area drinking recovery hub. In her TEDx talk, Jolene talks about the term gray area drinking and describes it as the kind of drinking where there's no rock bottom, but you drink as a way to manage anxiety and then regret how much or how often you drink. In 2014, she left drinking behind and she now helps others do the same. Jolene coaches high achieving professionals who want to eliminate alcohol and sugar cravings, reduce their anxiety, and does so by using real food, high quality nutrients, and cutting edge mind-body techniques. Today, we're going to talk about what gray area drinking is, and if you think you might be a gray area drinker, what to do about it. We're also going to dive into Jolene's work on the functional impact of food, emotions, environment, and movement in relation to our physical bodies. In her TEDx talk, Jolene shares her personal alcohol and anxiety story and explains the importance of replenishing our neurotransmitters and nourishing our nervous systems in a comprehensive and consistent way. So Jolene, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Casey. It's fun to be here. Yeah, I I wanted to have this conversation because I identify as a gray area drinker. And I think a lot of women who listen to this podcast do as well. Can you tell me a little bit about how you define that or think about that term? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, kind of historically, there's there's been two buckets of how I think stereotypically culture and society has looked at drinking. And there's either, you know, that end stage, rock bottom, sitting on the park bench, drinking out of a brown paper bag, um, lose everything, the wheels just kind of fall off. You know, that's one bucket. And then the other is just kind of every now and again drinking. I'm a social drinker, you know 
don't have quote a problem. And I, you know, every now and again, drinking meaning like literally a drink here or there a couple times a year. And you know, what I've found is that most people, and honestly, people who I know in my life aren't in either one of those categories. You know, I, I actually know a couple people who literally have a drink you know, like on New Year's Eve, like one drink, and then they have a wedding in February, and they toast and have that one drink, and they never think about it again. And they don't have really, you know, often don't have alcohol in their home. And so they literally have like four drinks a year. I, I know a couple of people like that, but most people aren't like that. And, and I don't know, you know, many people like that. And I also don't know many people, honestly, who, you know, are so end stage where their eyes are yellow with jaundice, and they've just pickled themselves literally with alcohol. But who I know is everybody in between those two extremes. And so historically, kind of traditionally, we've defined of like, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not that extreme, but we're drinking and silently struggling with that. And that's what I um, kind of term is, you know, that gray area that hasn't really had a voice for many years until recently. And, and so the more I've kind of spoken about that and, and shared my own story, it's certainly where my drinking was. Um, so many women, especially, have just come out of the woodwork saying, that's me, that's my story, I function, I don't have any necessarily, you know, consequence externally that everybody can kind of hold up and say, look, there's proof. Yet, they have struggled for years, um, trying to, you know, rein in their drinking and not drink as much and worried about their drinking and, and silently, you know, beating themselves up and how common that is when we start talking about it. How many women say, that's me? I've just never heard somebody talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where I fell in and where a lot of the women I work with and the women who listen would fall in as well. And I think there's also, I mean, everybody hears the stories, whether they've done it themselves of in the middle of the night Googling, am I an alcoholic? And as you go through those, you know, of course, many people will not have some of those really dire consequences that fall into that to that spectrum. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that drinking isn't impacting your life in a negative way, or, you know, just the thoughts of being worried about your drinking. Um, And there's such a spectrum even within that, right? Because someone who has a drink twice a year, I'm like, Oh, you're not even in my world, you're not even a drinker, right? In my mind, the question was, do you have two drinks a night, four nights a week? versus a bottle plus a night, seven nights a week. And, you know, that was, I was on the bottle bottle plus a night range and yet still functioning. Yeah, I was too. I, you know, it was towards the end. I mean, it definitely escalated over the years, but it was very easy and very frequent and such a pattern, an easy pattern to open a bottle of wine and say, I'm going to pour myself a glass Oh, screw it. I've had that glass. I'll have another glass and finish the bottle off most nights and how easy that was to do. And that's most, you know, who I'm working with as well. Um, And, you know, then there's kind of on that other side of it, uh, that's, that's heavy drinking, no doubt. And I could stop without detox symptoms. And, you know, that's very similar with, with my clients where, it's, you know, undoubtedly heavy, problematic drinking, but not a level that, you know, needed to be removed from my environment to stop. And so that's how I, you know, that's a big qualifier for me too, of um, having that capacity, that physiological, not psychological, this isn't like a personality, something's wrong with you as a person, but physiologically can, you know, you stop drinking. And that's where that line starts to get really slippery. Um, But gray area drinkers, the way I define it is they have the physical capacity and ability to stop drinking. And many gray area drinkers do that many, many times. (laughs) They drink heavily and excessively and stop drinking. They pull themselves in and say, I can't keep doing this. And they do. They stop for weeks, months, sometimes a year or more. And then they're like, I can be a social drinker. Why am I being so restrictive? And they go back to drinking. And so that is such a common characteristic of gray area drinking. And like I said, often for years of that back and forth, excessive drinking, pulling it in, stopping, drinking again. And it's just a miserable Groundhog Day, which is a little different profile, again, than what we think of stereotypically is like what we've seen in the movies of just that whole crash and burn. And it's a problem. 
You know, yeah. I, I always want to clarify that too. You know, sometimes people are like, oh, gray area drinkers, they can take it or leave it. No, it's, it's absolutely, a, that's why I quit drinking. It was 100% absolutely a problem. And that back and forth with it is misery. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of your edit podcast with Aiden Donnelly Rowley, and it came out about a year and a half after I quit drinking. And what I love most about you guys talking about it is you talk about making an early exit from your drinking life. And I love that concept of an early exit. I, I sometimes call myself an ex-red wine drinker and you know a recovering people pleaser, like those two concepts, right? So making an early exit, I did the same thing. And it wasn't that I couldn't have kept going. But my life was really not that fun. At the end when I stopped drinking, right? It was a lot of hangovers, a lot of um, working really hard to overcompensate for being hungover, to overcompensate for not remembering stuff. You know, I was getting very anxious, very defensive. And one of the things that I love that you do in your work is you do talk about sort of the recovery of the nervous system or why you feel so irritable or why you feel so shaky after drinking. And I had no idea about any of that. So could you tell it, you know, not once you've identified if you're a gray area drinker and you want to step back or make an early exit, what does that look like? Yeah, well, first, everything you described that we've, again, kind of typically associated with, I'm just hungover and I had too much to drink and millions and millions obviously experience that type of hangover, which you just described. And it's in the gray area. Like that is not normal, healthy drinking. And, you know, that's how I drank. <laughs> you know, yeah. I had the same, same experience. So first of all, having that level of physical symptoms is there's nothing healthy about it. There's nothing safe about it. And and so, you know, that's kind of the first thing is acknowledging that, you know, again, historically, we would just kind of laugh it off and, oh, it's what everybody experiences. And it's like, no, this is your, we're on the spectrum. We're on the drinking spectrum. And it's not, um, so, I, so I'm pretty blunt about that, about there isn't any safe or recommended healthy intake of alcohol, um, not to say everybody needs to quit drinking. But if people are having kind of that silent misery, that back and forth and experiencing what you just experienced, um, that's gray area drinking. Yeah. Um, And I love that you said that that's not healthy or normal, right? Which is where I was living for years because you do it enough that it does seem normal. And I've had clients be like, oh my God, my nighttime routine, like I would drink a bottle of wine or more, go up to bed. I had like the Gatorade, the water, the pills, sometimes you know, over the counter or, or prescription level sleep aids, because you're afraid of waking up at three in the morning, you know, in the morning, they have the visine, all this stuff like this is you physically going over the top to manage the fact that you are poisoning your body and dehydrated and, and withdrawing every single morning. And yet we're so used to being like, Oh, another big night, you know? Right, right. And so I think that's, you know, to change kind of this, the stigma with it, and shift the paradigm is to start to kind of name it as it is. And, and clients will say to me, they're like, but my, you know, my friends, they don't have a pot, like they get away with this, they can. And I'm like, we don't know that because we don't sit around saying, I'm, you know, really, I'm woke up at three in the morning now. And I'm, you know, um, berating myself and I'm, it's that sweating and pounding hearts and, and millions go through it, but millions don't talk about it. So, um, and I would do the same thing. I would take the Advil and I take the charcoal, uh, tablets and the homeopathic, like anti-nausea. And I'm like, cause you were asking about kind of the functional physiological side yeah. of it. I'm like, this is not normal. Like I know what I know, but this is not how I should be using it. You know, taking the electrolyte powder and the, to offset that bottle of red wine that I just drank. So yeah. So there's that. And then, so I'm sorry, tell me again, your, your question about the physiology. It was side. about like how... I know that your work is a lot into sort of the functional nutrition of like, how do you help people recover? So I'd love you just to talk about what the drinking does to your body and what some of the work is that people can do. Yeah, so I certified in functional nutrition in 1999 and have 
you know, thousands of continuing education hours where I really learned what I learned was um, weekend conferences for like a decade in the early 2000s with functional medicine. And, and one of um, my trainings was in neurotransmitters in 2006 and found it fascinating. I didn't stop drinking until 2014, but, um, but it's fascinating about, you know, learning about GABA and serotonin and dopamine and the medical doctor who taught that runs a holistic treatment center. So he works with people who come into to, you know, the inpatient center to have the IV amino acids and the essential fatty acids and the minerals and to rebalance the physiology. And so I had studied that and knew that model, but you don't just have to be, um, have that addictive pattern to alcohol or drugs. It can be anything. It can be excessive scrolling. It can be um, overeating, excessive scrolling, you know, on your phone, overeating sugar, excessive exercise. It's like, where is the brain overfiring or underfiring to try to compensate with what's dysregulated in the body? And I found that study just absolutely fascinating. And, you know, and I, I taught it in, in my corporate wellness work and continued to drink. And, um, and then in 2014, because I had had so much back and forth, you know, I would quit for months and then I would come back and be like, I can drink socially. And so I did so much of that. And when I personally finally quit, the thing I went to was what I had studied with neurotransmitters, um, knowing the neuroscience that I know body first kind of, you know, brain head second, because, um, the, you know, the nervous system is throughout the body. And so when we calm the body, it calms the mind. And when we regulate the body, we regulate the brain. And traditionally, it's been kind of backwards, you know, thinking that if we go after kind of the mental side, then um, that changes the body. And what we know with kind of the current data, it's, it's flipped. So that's just personally how I approached. Um, I was like, I know I'm done. Like I, 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 this is it. Like, I'm not going to keep doing this back and forth. And where I wanted to go then was the physiology. I knew my GABA was low. I've always been an anxious person. Um, it's, it's, you know, a reason why I drank it worked. So I would feel anxious. It's those ruminating kind of that perfectionist type A entrepreneur at the end of the day, I wanted to come down even if it was a good day, but I put a lot of, you know, focus, excess energy out and the wine would help downregulate that. So I needed to work with my GABA first um, to, instead of using the wine, what are other ways to bring that down regulation by boosting my GABA? And whole food, certainly, there's supplements specific to boosting GABA. There's movement, lifestyle. This is all what I learned in my functional medicine training. And then I was like, okay, I actually might need to use this now for myself, knowing I'm giving up alcohol for good. I love that you said that because I also sort of identify as, you know, the type A overachieving, multitasking, like go, go, go. And so do so. I mean, I also, I work with, you know, mostly sort of overachieving, people pleasing, working moms. Like that's most of the women I work with. And when I heard you talk about how you were using wine to basically downshift kind of your nervous system at the end of the day, because we all want to do everything really quickly, including come down off being, you know, sort of busy mind really quickly. I thought that was really interesting. And I'm not sure that I know other people may already know this, but like how GABA works in the same way. So GABA is the primary kind of breaks on the nervous system. Um, Yeah. So we have a gas pedal with dopamine and acetylcholine. So dopamine is the neurotransmitter of um, the drive and get it done and, you know, get through the to-do list. And acetylcholine is focus and memory. So we need that gas pedal. We want to stay focused. We want to produce, we want to execute, but you know, where we, um, where we're active, then we need to rest. There's always that balance in just, you know, our body. And so GABA and serotonin then are the breaks. So um, GABA is that just relaxation feeling, which um, alcohol gives for a lot of people. It's that immediate within 10 minutes of, you know, having a glass of alcohol. It's kind of, I would always describe it as like kind of warm honey from my head all the way down through my body very quickly. It worked. I mean, it's why I drank and it would, it would slow down the chatter in my mind, the perfectionistic, like always beating up on myself and there's more to do and think about. It would just stop that. 
And that's what GABA does. It just puts the brakes on its relaxation. Um, and then serotonin is the more the happy break on in the nervous system. So that's, I feel good. I'm not depressed. Life is good. I'm able to sleep. Um, I'm not overly wanting, you know, a lot of sugar, carbohydrates, because I'm not kind of feeling blue or low or depressed. So it's um, kind of that depression, anxiety breaks. And if we don't have adequate those neurochemicals of serotonin and GABA, which is very common. It's why people are prescribed antidepressants and anti-anxiety meds, which so many people are on. And also so many people are using alcohol um, to self-medicate that as well, because it doesn't feel good to not feel good. And when we're dysregulated, it's that anxious, ruminating mind, can't sleep, can't kind of shut that off switch on. Um, feeling, you know, a little more depressed, harder on ourselves, all of that, none of that feels good. And so even if we can't kind of like, articulate it, the, the body's always trying to come back into homostasis. And that's why it very brilliantly and instinctively reaches for what it does. And that's the neurotransmitter work that was always so fascinating to me of why do some people reach for cigarettes and some people reach for alcohol or cocaine or excessive exercise. And it's all just brilliant messages of like, Oh, the, and, and I'm simplifying it a bit, yeah. but in general, it's that the brain and the body are saying I'm depleted in this. So this thing outside of me kind of mimics that in a false positive. That's why we're reaching for it. And so we tend to then beat ourselves up and suppress it and hide it. And it's like, no, actually it's really exciting and interesting and fascinating why we crave what we crave. Alcohol is a, a dirty drug. So it wipes out all the neurotransmitters. Um, some people use alcohol for the burst of energy. So, you know, I've worked with some clients who they're, it's like they're, they're exhausted, they're dragging, and they'll drink at night to like get the laundry done, get the emails done, get the kids to bed because they're really exhausted. And dopamine also connects with cortisol. So every neurotransmitter connects, has a sister relationship with a hormone. So cortisol is the adrenal glands. When we're exhausted and we're not sleeping, it's that um, running on adrenaline, we're also then low in dopamine. And most people, especially women, um, are reaching to alcohol because of the GABA connection. So the GABA is, I'm just anxious, I need to downshift. And, and it may not be an out and out panic attack, but it's the ruminating thoughts, the obsession, the worry, the, you know, I've got to eat the perfect calories and get the work. It's that obsessive kind of, the mind is always on. That's low GABA and GABA is connected with progesterone. Um, which is a primary female sex hormone. And GABA and progesterone, when they're low, we feel anxious and we don't sleep. And so most women between 35 and 55, kind of that perimenopausal time, big complaints are anxiety and, you know, and they're trying to do everything and they're not sleeping. So of course we're reaching for alcohol. Um, so it's not a personality defect. It's not something that, you know, you've got this weakness as a person psychologically. It's just physiologically. In your body, there's this depletion, which naturally happens living in the modern world <laughs> of trying to do it all and not sleeping and um, eating what we eat and no shame, no blame, but we can go in and when we understand what's depleted, what's deficient, boost that up. So then there's not such a need for a bottle of wine. Yeah. And it's almost like we've been using the wrong tool because it's the easy button that's like prescribed wine more than anything else by every single person, right? You have a bad day, you know, the answer is here, have a have a glass of wine, open a bottle, is it happy hour yet? So, you know, we're using this tool that gives us the short term reward, but in the long term makes us feel more anxious and sleep worse and all the things. So I love that you've identified this because I've I've heard it when you've talked about it, but honestly don't have a ton of information on it. So what do you recommend to women when they're when they're before they stop drinking when they stop drinking like in terms of finding and supplementing GABA and the serotonin and all those things well um i mean you know the first thing is taking alcohol out is is the best thing you can do now easier said than done um it's not you know it's not easy at all and you know i know that i've been through that for many years and i work with people um you know that's what i do with my coaching so taking alcohol out is, is, will help tremendously. 
but it's it's a little bit of blind faith because it's like we get in this cycle of we and we're phys- physiologically depleted and we're using that alcohol it depletes us more so we need more alcohol and it's just a vicious cycle so pulling it out we have to know that everything's really low when we're pulling it out and so at my you know big philosophy is adding stuff in so taking alcohol out is is one big kind of deprivation. Um, and it's necessary. But then from there on, we're going to add in, add in, add in. So you know, a lot of women will be like, I want to stop the sugar, and I'm going to stop this, and I'm going to take this away. And I'm like, let's just start with the alcohol, because it's big enough in and of itself. It's a big enough kind of biochemical, you know, factor we need to deal with. So, um, you know, and I work with people on the body, the biochemistry, the emotions, the somatic, um, piece, like the issues are in the tissues. There's the trauma connection, um, which I've also done some somatic yoga um, training in, which I've found to be very brilliant and mind-blowing. And honestly, when that somatic piece came in for me, once I learned that, um, it was very quick of when I stopped drinking. So I learned the neurotransmitters in 2006. I kept drinking for another eight years. I learned about the somatic um, emotional regulation, the nervous system piece in 2012, and I quit drinking two years later. So the somatic piece, the emotional kind of trauma is is huge. And I look at that as well. And then just this, the spirit, the energetic um, system. So going back to like, you know, where do you start? Taking alcohol out is going to be huge. And then I, I, you know, we start with the body first, because when we work with the body, then it starts to change the brain. Um, So one of the best things and most simplistic things to do uh, is to eat regularly. And I know it's not sexy and fancy. And it's like, oh, what? Okay, like get to the good stuff. (laughs) Um, However, working with hundreds of of women over four years and with my gray area drinking coaching, most people don't eat regularly. And so alcohol really messes up our blood sugar, um, makes it really erratic. We're just on this roller coaster ride. When you pull out alcohol, you're still going to be in this real erratic blood sugar kind of roller coaster. So the best thing to do coming up on not drinking, like if you want to like kind of prep for it a couple you know days, weeks ahead, and then in those early days is eat regularly. When you wake up, eat something, midday, eat something, end of the day, because when your blood sugar is stable, it's going to help everything, your mood, your hormones, your digestion, your metabolism, your fatigue, your energy, your sleep. So any complaint that people have when blood sugar is stable, it's going to help. So um, eating regularly is, is first and foremost. And then, you know, we can look at supplements. Some people don't like supplements, but they're great. You know, um, there's kind of a whole host of options for GABA boosting supplements. Um, some of my favorite herbs are lemon balm, holy basil, and passion flower. And um, you can find them in any health food store, take, you know, as directed on the label. But they all have GABA boosting effect, um, which means, you know, so alcohol does not boost GABA. It feels like it does, but it just depletes it. So we need more and more. Whereas those herbs, holy basil, lemon balm, passion flower, they will boost GABA and hold GABA. So, you know, I don't take them anymore, but kind of the first three months of not drinking, they helped tremendously. Um, Some other boosting, you know, supplements, L-theanine is very helpful to boost GABA. Um, I really like inositol, which is close to a B vitamin, but not a B vitamin. Um, And it can really help with anxiety and, and panic. And so there's, you know, there's different things, but it's, if you're on prescription medication, um, you need to, you know, I do not recommend at all sup, um, mixing supplements with prescriptions unless you've talked with your doctor and always take as directed on the label. So these things are not drugs to get a drug effect. They're in there to just help balance and bring physiology back to baseline. So that's where I start kind of on the physical level is just eat regularly, get your blood sugar balanced. And um, if you want to supplement with a couple of things that can help boost GABA in a natural, healthy way. Yeah, I I absolutely love that. And I, I love the idea that I know that in my experience that and and lots of women that hunger is a huge trigger, like especially being hungry um, before the witching hour, but just, you know, eating something with protein, like right before you leave the office or before you have to deal with the kids helps a lot. And I didn't quite know why. I just knew that was that was something that that helped me a ton as well. So it's really well. I can I can tell you why protein helps. Okay, um, it helps for a lot of reasons. It balances your blood sugar. So when we eat protein, it helps your blood sugar stay stable for about four hours. 
when we eat carbohydrates, especially more sugary, like candy bars, starchy, you know, desserts, sweet drinks, that, that kind of carbohydrate, it'll spike blood sugar and it'll drop within 30 minutes. And then we're craving, we're hungry again. Where protein, peanut butter, poultry, eggs, tofu, whatever, you know, beef, whatever you, you like, beans, it'll hold your blood sugar for four hours. So it's very important when you're looking at cravings, anxiety, hunger, um, weight loss, sleep, you want to hold blood sugar because that's going to help all those things. And then the other thing that, uh, that protein does is it breaks down into amino acid. And amino acids are the building blocks for the body. So the body's constantly breaking down, rebuilding, breaking down, rebuilding every bone, tissue, organ, muscle, and our brain. And the raw materials that make GABA, serotonin, dopamine, acetylcholine is amino acids. So if our amino acids are low, which are our neurotransmitters are low, which they're going to be from a lot of drinking, then we want to boost those neurotransmitters and the raw materials that the raw material that makes those neurotransmitters is essential fatty acids from protein. So when we're talking about getting, uh, you know, lifting up GABA, lifting up serotonin, that's why I say start with food and eat it regularly because it'll boost brain chemicals. It'll help your body repair. Um, it'll help the gut repair. Our, the cells in our gut lining turn over every three days. We want a healthy gut for a healthy brain. So when those cells are turning over in our intestinal tract every 72 hours, we want amino acids from protein to rebuild new healthy cells. So protein, um, it rebuilds the body very quickly. It feeds the neurotransmitters and it keeps your blood sugar stable. So that's why, you know, going six or more hours without eating, it sounds like a good thing. It sounds like, oh, I'll lose weight. When you're stopping drinking, it's one of the worst things you can do. You want to eat regularly and eat protein. If some people um, are more animal based, some people are more protein based, it doesn't matter. Just eat the protein that you like. So what I'm hearing is I love all this information and science behind it, but on the very highest level, you know, when you're quitting drinking and want to feel better, first, remove the alcohol. Second, eat regularly and eat protein and good food. Yeah, I, you know, I, it's going back to the basics. Yeah. Um, in which I've always taught, uh, you know, I was, I did corporate wellness. I've been started in corporate wellness in 2004. And, um, and for me, it's always been the basics. We want the fancy bells and whistles. And those are fine, you know, taking some passion flower, like that's a little bit of a, of a fancy, you know, whistle to um, like an herb to help boost GABA. But if your blood sugar is not stable, you're not eating regularly, you're not hydrated with good fresh water, you're not sleeping regularly or long hours, that passion flower, it's going up against a, you know, a big hill. Yeah. So we've got to come back to the basics and the basics make up for 80% of just eating regularly, staying hydrated, getting good sleep, especially in those early days of not drinking, treating it. You know, I, I like the analogy Laura McCowan has used. Of, um, it's like those early days of pregnancy is very similar to the early days of, of not drinking, of how you just really, really turn inward of how you're focusing on taking care of yourself and following through with those basic needs. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I mean, people drink, I mean, one, because it's socially so prescribed and common and everybody else is doing it Two, because it's addictive, right. And progressive. And we know when you, when you drink more, you're going to drink more, but three also, because it does work. Like you were talking about in the beginning, right. You're trying to regulate your body. You're trying to come down a level from this sort of manic busy state. And it sounds like we've just been using the wrong tool to do that. You know, I always think it's like the easy button, right? I mean, when you're upset or frustrated, you want to drink because you don't want to feel that and you don't want to think about that. But what you really need to do is solve for whatever that emotion is. And, and you're talking about sort of the nervous system and wanting to bring the nervous system down a level. Yeah, which is going back to the basics. So yeah. The nervous system doesn't need a lot of, you know, fancy pieces, but it is going back to the body first, um, you know, to help kind of with that physiological balance. And then, you know, you touched on this a couple of times about we've just kind of, it's, it's just what we've had available to us. And it's, you know, it's what everybody else does. And this then goes into some of kind of the emotional regulation, because we haven't been shown another way. We yeah. haven't kind of had a model or training. Um, what we've had is bars and bakeries, you know, the sugar hit or the alcohol hit. Um, when we're frustrated, when we're agitated, when we're in grief, 
when we're angry. And it's just, it's what's been modeled and our, our body and our nervous system responds to the environment. It watches, it's the mirror neurons. And so, you know, what we've been shown then is, is what we do. Um, and this is then where kind of working more with that emotional response comes in. There's physiology first, because you think about it too, that like, if you have a cold, it's physical, it's in your body. And it's when you have a cold, you just don't feel like doing emotional work. So once you feel better physically, then we can look at, that's why I start with physical first. So that's 80% of it. When you're, when you physically feel better, it's a lot easier to, to look at this emotional piece, but then that's that what has been, everybody has kind of a habitual pattern. Is it that they flee that they want to fight or they freeze when they feel frustrated, when they feel overwhelmed, when, you know, whatever emotionally, which we all feel, we all have this emotional, especially this year. And so what's our go-to response? Do we just freeze and drink and kind of numb? Do we flee and drink, which was me. I always just wanted to kind of mentally flee and just escape and numb it, um, you know, that way, or do we want to fight and, you know, and um, kind of that argumentative, back and forth. So those are all those, those stress responses and not that any are bad, but if they're used as kind of the escape to not um, let things discharge that need to discharge and we're getting stuck in a fight, flee or freeze response. So then that's where, you know, the neuroscience of like working with the polyvagal nerve, working with the amygdala, which is the animal brain and that impulsive, it literally, you know, it's the animal side of us is running the show. And so when that animal brain, that emotional brain is in the driver's seat, it doesn't understand language. So that's why it doesn't work to say, well, just calm down, just relax. Because it literally, the part of the brain that's now running the show, because we've gotten so activated and dysregulated, does not understand words. But what it understands is sensation. So then it's coming back to the senses, and taste is a sense. And so that's, uh, I mean, that's been the primary sense then when the animal brains run the show, of like just eat something, just drink something <laughs> yeah. for the taste. And, you know, again, the body's brilliant, but there's these other senses too. So there's sound and that's where things like sound therapy, music therapy can come in and to really notice like what sounds um, do you like? What what happens that, you know, do your shoulders start to drop? How does that start to kind of regulate your system? What sense, you know, some people like aromatherapy and there's real science with how that's working on the animal, emotional limbic brain. Touch is huge, huge. You know, we know that with an animal that's scared or a small child, that when we can hold them and contain them, it calms the nervous system. And it's the same for ourselves. So a weighted blanket, um, you know, one of those heavy, like yoga bags that you like you can put on your belly, literally just kind of crossing your arms, like one hand on one shoulder, the other on the other shoulder, like that touch for yourself. Having I, one thing I did a lot in early, um, you know, days of not drinking was I got regular reflexology. So I had a great reflexologist. I mean, I would almost fall asleep. Like it was so relaxing for her to massage my feet, but it was so, it was the touch and so wow. grounding and calming. So, you know, there's all different options to use touch, scent, sound, taste, and then the visual sense of um, using our eyes. So one way, you know, it's just like staring at a, um, a soft gaze on a candle flame. And the reason this helps balance the nervous system is like when you're in yoga and like in a tree pose and you're on one leg and pull up the other leg into your inner thigh and you're balancing on, on that one leg, what you do is you f just, you know, find a spot on the wall in front of you and you hold that soft gaze and that holds the balance. So when we're feeling out of balance in our, you know, nervous system dysregulated, having something where we can hold a focal point with our eyes or guided imagery because it's mm -hmm. that, you know, the imagery inside our mind and we can follow that. It's so it's the visual, the scent, the sound, taste, and touch. That's what helps kind of the emotional body in a very simplistic way. And then, you know, there's, there's trauma work and like what's the real story behind that freezing and fleeing and, and all of that. But just that's the, you know, going back to the basics physically is yeah. regular eating. Going back to the basics emotionally is coming back to our senses. I love that. And, that, you know, when you were going through the list of all the, all the different things you can do, including the weighted blanket and the touch and the sense and the music. I mean, in my mind, those are all different sort of 
sober coping tools or ways you can soothe your nervous system or your body when you're in a triggered state, kind of working down ways to self-soothe. But you're, you know, you're completely right when you were saying that, that you did reflexology. I, in early sobriety, we had um, a woman who came in for 20 minutes a week and did like chair massages in a room at my office. First of all, she's my favorite. She, you know, Every woman in my office went to her pretty much because you walked in and she was like, hi, goddess. I, I was like, I think we paid her just to call us goddess because <laughs> we all needed that after, you know, a week in corporate America. But it was just so incredible to have like the essential oils on and just the smell and the touch and the relaxation and the nurturing to remind you that, you know, your only treat and reward does not come in a bottle of wine that leaves you with a hangover. Yeah. How, so how did you feel after a 10 minute, chair, 10 minute chair massage? Yeah, it was 20 minutes and it was incredible. I mean, literally just so Zen. And I looked forward to it the entire week before, like the day of, I mean, everyone in my office did, but it was also, I was very big on like sober treats, trying to replace that idea that alcohol is your one reward. So I would go in there and I would be like, this is my treat for being sober. I get to do this because I'm not, you know, hung over and poisoning myself and, you know, buzzed every night slash drunk, whatever you want to call it. So for me, it was that whole anticipation, reward, reinforcement cycle that this feels really, really good and is a real way to take care of myself that is not knocking myself unconscious with wine. Yeah. So this is important, what you said here. And I really emphasize this with clients of um, because again, so many gray area drinkers, the women I'm working with, they know how to achieve. They know how to produce. They know how to get through the to-do list. And it's like, I've got something to do. I'll do it. And I say to them all the time, this is not about doing this just for the sake of doing this. We don't want to just load your to-do list with yoga and meditation. And, and I always stop and say, do you like it? And there's always kind of this pause of like, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. Like, I'm just supposed to do it or I should do it. And what we're working with here and to start to rewire the nervous system is exactly how you just languaged. You're like, I look forward to it. Like it lights me up of, you know, she's saying, hello, goddess. And it's like my body just feels zen. And there's kind of, you know, some other descriptions are like the tingling or it's like my shoulders drop or I can take a breath or that expanded feeling versus like being clenched and tight and contracted. And so we're really working on that. So things like, you know, massage, some people have that same experience, depends on the practitioner. Others don't like massage. It's like they they get more tense and tight. Some people, yoga can be that way. Others, it could be painting. It doesn't matter. It's not like everybody needs to go get a massage or paint. But what matters is what you said of like, I look forward to it. Like, I want to repeat it. I want to do it again. There's this Zen feeling in my body. And that's what we're starting to add in and expand because that's what alcohol seemingly gave us. But then we don't, we're kind of like, what are the other things? Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of a trial by fire and and it takes some time um, to notice what actually helps your nervous system because we've never really noticed. What we've noticed is, you know, just kind of numbing ourselves with sugar or alcohol. We notice that. But then when we have to notice something else, it's like strengthening the muscle. But there's many, many things that can give that same kind of warm honey feeling. Yeah. And it's different for everybody. Yeah. I love how you describe it as the warm honey feeling. And you're right. I would think of it less as trial by fire and more of like creative experimentation, right? Like go back to when you're a kid and you get to see what you actually like and what actually feels good. I feel like so many of us just do the things we should do or try to fit it in the list. And we never actually think about whether we actually enjoy it, including like volunteering for the school's art docent thing. Like, I'm like, I don't, I hate that shit. Like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not the like, I'm not the art mom. But, um, but so many of us are like, no, 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 I should do that. I should enjoy it. You know? Yeah, that's what this is about. And it's about really giving permission to ourselves, especially as women to, it's okay to enjoy things. It's okay to have pleasure um, and comfort and rest. And those are biggies. And, you know, the thing with childhood is, um, you know, I hear that sometimes of like, what did you like in childhood? And 
and sometimes, you know, we can name things, but sometimes we can't because that's where some of the adversity lies. Um, so it's not, I don't always just assume that childhood, it's like, oh, there was, it was just this great kind of dancing through the field yeah. of flowers and I just stopped doing it. Often that's where, where we were told we just need to keep pushing and going and buck up and, and, you know, good girls don't, you know, and, and that's where all of that gets severed. Um, so sometimes, you know, it's there, but sometimes it really is a rediscovery of, like you say, a big curiosity experiment of what feels good. And it is more than okay for something to feel good because we've been yeah. told, you know, we, it shouldn't. And that's, you know, and that's why we drink because it's like, we need something that feels good. And this is the only thing. And so now it's this permission to expand and add in and have the pleasure, have the comfort, have the rest and that nurturing yeah. that we give ourselves. That's amazing. What else do you, do you like to focus on with women? I know you have a program called the Sober Choice, which is a 30-day sort of self-study program. Yeah. So in that, I, I put together, um, you know, just again, from working with clients um, over the last four years, I've had a full-time coaching practice and, and really kind of, you know, the most common questions that come up around sugar cravings, around sleep, around um, hormone, you know, balance, relationships, going into social situations. So all those things that, that I talk about all the time with clients, I put into just a do-it-yourself online course. And so I record a video for each day that's between four and 19 minutes. So it's not a long, you know, big lecture. It's, um, if you've noticed, I'm, I'm pretty much a like, let's just get to the bottom line. Like, what can I do? <laughs> that's what I want. I want the how I want to know, you know, what can I try? So that's what I've tried to deliver in that is each day, just very practical things to try. There's links to look at. Um, again, the people I work with, you know, they want the resources, they want the data. They're like, what's the, so I give that and you get that, um, email each day with the video, you can sign in, you get the whole 30 days. If you just, if you want to go to 19 right away, day 19, you can, um, you don't have to wait for it. So you've got full-time access to just all these kind of stumbling blocks in, you know, the first couple days of not drinking, but also if you're going back and forth, if you've already stopped before and you, and you have stopped, but you're like, Oh, I'm really kind of struggling with staying stop. That's the sober choice course is who I made that for. To help you get more reinforcement and more tools, right? For your toolbox. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. So you had talked a little bit about the somatic side and that was with the yoga and other things. Is there anything else you want to share about that? Well, so coming back to the five senses is, is a very somatic practice. Mm -hmm. uh, coming back to, so soma means body. So it's the embodiment being embodied. We're very good at being um, in our head. We're very good at the conceptual. So, um, and people say this, they're like, I know this stuff. Like I've listened to the podcast. I've read the books. Like, why can't I stop? I know it. And that's that conceptual, like the logic, the, um, the analysis, the story, the, we're very good at that. Very, very good. But what, what we need to strengthen is the embodiment side of things. So the sensation, the, um, you know, what's kind of happening in our body, because our body is, you know, a huge messenger. And so when we can be more embodied, we can be, that's where the call comes instead of the reaction. So that's, you know, the somatic work, which is like, well, that sounds great. But the practical side is coming back to your senses. Um, you know, three other ways that that are kind of some basics with somatics is the grounding, the orienting and the centering. So the orienting is the senses, but the grounding is just noticing right now, you know, as you're listening to this, um, what part of your body is on the ground, because some part of our body is always on the ground at some point. So I'm sitting in a chair and I can feel my feet on top of the carpet underneath my feet. And I can notice that sensation, even though I have socks on, I can notice the sensation of the carpet. And I can just kind of mentally notice, like, is there some tingling on one part of my foot versus the other where the carpet is? Is, you know, there warmth or does it feel more cool? Um, is there, you know, am I clenching somewhere like at the back of my legs clenching as I'm noticing the carpet? So um, standing on carpet versus like grass or asphalt, 
that sensation is going to feel different. So it's noticing the sensation of the ground that you're standing on, sitting on, if you're lying down, and just really kind of bringing your mental energy down to the ground and the sensation of the ground. Because what that does is it brings that mental energy down. And so then the head, you know, we're not kind of spinning as much mentally. Um, And when we feel grounded, we feel more calm. And it's not an intellectual kind of esoteric thing. It's a real practical thing. Like what is the ground that you're standing on sitting on? Like literally what's the sensation of it right now? A hardwood floor is going to feel different than carpet. And so often, you know, we're eating sugar, drinking alcohol because we're not grounded. We're up in our head all the time. And when, you know, I eat a lot of sugar or when I drank alcohol, it's like all of a sudden there's more just kind of this lethargy in my body. I'd feel heavier and I would slow down. But what that is, is my body is more, it's that kind of a grounded feeling, which we're seeking. So it's a very basic thing, just noticing the ground, um, going outside barefoot on the earth, on, you know, bare feet on the grass, on dirt, in sand, can be very grounding, literally being on Mother Earth, the electron um, you know, that come from the earth, and that's very good for the nervous system. Um, so that's a, the, the grounding, the five senses, and then noticing your center, which is your heart or your belly. And some people like to put their hand on one area or the other. And um, you can you know, do these things anywhere, anytime. I can stand in the grocery store line bring my mental energy, what's the ground under my feet in that as I'm standing in line. I can, you know, look around, kind of visually notice what I see in that space and place. Notice if I smell anything, um, what I'm hearing at that time. I can just put my hand on my heart. Um, It doesn't look too out of place um, for the touch. And then just notice, you know, have I recently eaten something? Like, what's that taste? So those are some basic somatic pieces that, that come back to helping the body regulate. But, you know, I certainly do refer people to, you know, if there's been more trauma um, to to work with, uh, you know, an expert who has been trauma trained to really contain that, hold that and witness that trauma, but just yourself working to help your body feel more calm. Those are, those are some basic resources. Those are great. That's absolutely wonderful. And I've loved this conversation. I know a lot of people are going to want to get in touch with you or figure out how they might work with you. So do you want to share how people can contact you? Yeah. So the best way to find me is my website, grayareadrinkers.com. My coaching page is there. The Sober Choice is there. I also do a training um, where I train other coaches and healthcare practitioners who want to work with gray area drinkers. Um, So all of that information is at grayareadrinkers.com. And then I'm also on Instagram, healthy discoveries. So it's healthy underscore discoveries, which is my original company, um, corporate wellness company. So I've just always kept that That's kind of my big umbrella. And then the gray area drinkers is under healthy discoveries. I think that's great. And I love the work you're doing, especially with giving the name and talking about gray area drinking, because I know a lot of people talk about sober curious, and I love that. And, you know, people doing dry January or sober October, but that's sort of where you are in terms of coming around to the idea that life may be better without alcohol or you're interested in in what sober life would look like. Whereas gray area drinking is really where so many of us are, right? We don't think we, you know, we spend way too much time thinking, am I an alcoholic? Do I actually abuse alcohol? Do I have a problem? And yet you're living in a space that doesn't feel really good to you and it isn't healthy and normal. And you're in that gray area where you do kind of need the tools and the encouragement to step out of where you are. And I, I love that you're providing that as well as the language around it. Well, and you said that um, kind of at the beginning too, about, you know, the early exit idea. Yeah. And, and that's, I, I feel like what so much of this work is, is, is giving women permission um, to stop drinking any time in their life or any time on the drinking spectrum. You don't have to hit a certain marker. You don't have to prove <laughs> externally that, okay, now I this has happened, so it's proof that I need to stop. Um, you can make the decision any day, any time to stop drinking. And I think, you know, again, the language is a little more empowering around talking about mm-hmm. an early exit, talking about the gray area, which so many identify with. And, um, and it's just the permission all around yeah. to, to stop with no explanation, justification, 
uh, big story and the permission to add in like what we've talked about, the stuff that feels good and to really explore that and get curious uh, about that. When I think the stuff you're describing in terms of adding in is what makes you sort of not just white knuckle, right? When I think of white knuckling, it is you stop drinking, you still got all the same pressures, the same environment, the same life that you're attempting to cope with, but now just without alcohol. And when you just take alcohol out, yes, so much of your life gets better. First two weeks suck, then it gets a lot better, you know, in terms of your sleep and your anxiety and just your optimism and, and perception of the world. But you still have all those pressures. And when you, Jolene, are talking about adding in the physical supplements and improving the way you physically eat and have that in your body, and then also the somatic practices, and all of your five senses and all that rich nurturing that you can do for yourself, that's when you're not white knuckling it. That's when you're actually caring for your mind and your body and your emotions and your senses just in a better way than the bottle of wine could ever do for you. Yeah. And, you know, I've always said, it's again, that my name, Healthy Discoveries. We live in a time like none other with so many healthy discoveries, so many practices and exercises and therapies and tools and practitioners and resources, which is what I love. I, that's what I'm passionate about. I love finding the healthy discoveries and sharing the healthy discoveries. And, you know, again, we touched on just like three basics, but there's hundreds and hundreds. And it really depends as I'm talking with somebody what their own kind of personal story is, what their goal is at the time, hearing kind of, you know, what their biochemistry, you know, I have lots of questions to go through with people, but it gives me a sense of like, ooh, where's that resonance for them biochemically? What's their stress response already been doing or not doing? Um, And then that's how I kind of pull in the resources. So there's not just kind of a set formula of if you stop drinking, you need to, you know, whatever, get lavender oil. there's nothing wrong with lavender oil, but it really depends on the person and the whole story because that's the holistic side and what's going on biochemically, what's going on stress response, metabolically within their nervous system. And even just the, you know, kind of their energy, um, that's like the acupuncture thing of, you know, the meridians. So where's the energy running too fast and need, we need to slow it. Where's something stuck? what's going on with just kind of routines and patterns because where energy flows, like that's how we set up our routines or not. And so it's so much looking at that big picture, the spiritual side, the leisure side, the emotional side, relationship side. Um, and, and that's my nourish acronym of, of looking at, um, you know, the different pieces, because if it were just about eating right and exercise and giving up alcohol or just general wellness, most people know what they need, you know, know how to eat right and exercise, but it's bigger than that. Like nourishment is, you know, relationships nourish us and the, the play side, the spiritual side, our purpose and like what we're doing for work. So it's looking at all of that and everybody, everybody's on different timelines and in different spaces and places. So that's, what's fun um, with this work is to really customize things. Yeah. And I think what you provide as well is just the support. And I know there are a lot of other coaches out there who do that as well, but you have such great background in all the different areas and such deep background. But I mean, we do all know, you know, we should eat right and exercise, but when the day-to-day world weighs you down, when you're, you're going through on autopilot with all your built-in you know, maladaptive coping strategies that have gotten you through to this place and the environmental pressures. And, you know, it's hard. Like, there's no question. Lots of people wake up every morning with the best of intentions to eat healthy and they know exactly what they should eat and exercise and and it doesn't happen. So I think that the personalized support as well as information you provide is really, really valuable. So thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. And you're doing the same. You know, this is why coaching is so important and unique and and valuable, because it's um, not only providing resources, which is different than, you know, a sponsor therapy or even a physician, um, but providing very kind of how to resources for this demographic, and then providing the accountability, which you just touched on. And again, that's different from, you know, other practitioners. And and I don't see it as an either or, you know, you coach and then don't work with a therapist. I mean, I'm like, bring bring in the village, you know, bring yeah. it all in. because we, Everything has a, a unique value. 
But coaching, because of that accountability side, again, I work with people who they've read all the books, they've listened to the podcast, myself included. Like we know this stuff and now it's Thursday and we haven't done it. So that accountability with a coach, that's that's a, the power and the value of, of why this coaching right now that you're doing um, and so many are doing is so helpful and so beneficial. Um, yeah. I, you know, there was nothing like this when I quit drinking six years ago and now it's exploded. Um, and I so would have worked with a coach who, um, you know, to just have that check-in and that accountability in a really empowering way. And that cheerleader is, yeah. is what's exciting yeah, about Yeah, because you almost need someone to hold your hand. And most of the times the people in your life aren't the people who are going to be the right source of your sober support, whether it's your girlfriends, your partner, whoever it is. Yeah. Again, the power of coaching. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Casey. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more. Addiction impacts all of us. Addiction's consequences run through all of us. From ourselves to our loved ones and through our communities, addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast, a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction recovery. We'll talk with leading treatment providers to discuss the latest research and treatment options for this devastating disease and advocate for mental health awareness. We discuss topics like the importance of creating a community of support to helping loved ones to some of the latest research on psychedelic medicines. The Addicted Mind podcast has been about creating hope, listening to stories of many amazing people that have overcome addiction and are thriving. If you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, subscribe to the Addicted Mind podcast wherever you get your podcasts or check out theaddictedmind.com. New episodes every Monday. See you there.